We're just going to read one verse here this morning as we get started. Jeremiah 15, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Now this, I don't know if y'all read this or if that Scripture is familiar to you or not. I think it's, it's a couple of things to me that it speaks of. We're going to speak about the second thing this morning. For one thing it speaks of was that God's determination to bring about His judgment upon His people Judah and Israel because their continual sin and backsliding. This was the time, Jeremiah lived in the time uh, right during the, the captivity. Okay? The seven year, 70 year captivity at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It was a, a, a terrible thing. It was a violent thing. There were people killed. There were people carried away captive. The, the temple was destroyed. Solomon's temple. And it was... But, but he had... He had foretold this through the prophets that uh, all the years leading up to this, because of your continual backsliding and rebellion, there is going to be uh, a judgment that comes. And God chose to do it this way. And even in that, He was merciful. He didn't wipe them clean out. <clears throat> and He would bring them back to their land 70 years later, exactly as He said they would. The wall would be rebuilt. The temple would be rebuilt. But this, this Scripture... When he says, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people, cast them out of my sight. It speaks that his mind's not going to be changed on this. You know, with the, in the sovereignty of God and the mystery of God, I believe there's, there's places along the, the way where we can repent of our sin and we spare ourselves of the consequences of that or judgment to come. But then there's times when, and God knows, where we... This people, he, he knew their hearts and their minds. They were determined to persist in their idolatry and rebellion. His mind was not going to be changed in this matter. He brought about the judgment. He also brought about the restoration of the people. But another thing that, that I see from this Scripture that we're going to talk about today is, is the, I guess you would say, spiritual stature of Moses and Samuel. Can you imagine? This is many years after these men lived. And he says, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards his people. What is he saying about Moses and Samuel? I think he's saying a lot. I think he's saying a lot about their, their position and their standing in God. Their standing before the Lord. Who they are. I guess you would say his respect for them. I know, we know God's no respect for persons. And yet, there are those that have, obviously we see it right here, have some standing with the Lord. Moses and Samuel both were used to, to spare the people from the destruction in their days. Them interceding. Like, here's God. Here's a people that are in rebellion to God that He's about to wipe out and, and destroy. And these two men, because they had favor with God and found grace with the Lord, they had a position with the Lord to stand in the gap. It's a picture, just in a little way, it's a picture of Christ standing between God and a holy God and, and sinful man and the Lord Jesus standing in the gap, laying down His life on the cross to be that, that bridge, that go-between between God and men. And so the Lord says, even if, even if Moses and Samuel stood before Me, My heart would be, not be 
towards His people. I know God doesn't have respect of people. He's no respecter of persons, but there's no doubt. We see it in the Bible and we know in our lives there are people that have a right standing with God and a place in His kingdom and in a relationship with Him to where they are, they are at His right hand. They're people that He can use. They're arrows that He can fire out and He can use. And He speaks of Moses and Samuel. We're going to speak mostly about Samuel today. But I just want to quote this first or read it to you. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 66, 2, at the end of that verse it says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So there are people, not just Moses and Samuel, to this man will I look. This man, and look at in a favorable way. Look at and, and give heed to and listen to them and what they have to say because he knows that that man that he's looking to is going to be of the character of wanting God to be glorified and a right standing with Him. To this man will I look even to them, him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. The Bible speaks of Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon His name, they called upon the Lord and He answered them. I know these sounds like simple things, but they're spoken by name. And it says, these are the ones God spoke to. These are the ones that in turn called upon the Lord and the Lord answered them. So we're going to look at Samuel's life just a little bit as we go. But I want to ask the question and that we're going to answer the question, what was it about these men Let's say Moses and Samuel in this instance. And I would say others. There are others, but this is who God chose to speak of in this passage. That, that God looked at them in that way. That God would have spared nations, which He did, because they interceded for them. What was it about their lives and, our, and others that God would use them in such a way that though Moses and Samuel stood before me, and he speaks of them. One thing I think we notice in their lives and others that was present in their lives and has to be present in our lives as well. Or any man or woman that God's going to use. Uh, it has to be, uh, there has to be in their lives and in our lives a separation from the world. I know that sounds like a, a no-brainer, but there, there was in these men's lives a separation from the world around them. A separation from the worldliness and things around them. God was going to find somebody through whom He could perform His perfect will. Right? In Moses' case. In Samuel's case. Uh, in others. But again, this is who He used in that passage. What was it about them? He's looking for somebody that, that, that is totally surrendered to Him. Like we sang about. But in that surrender, y'all, there has to be a full separation from the world around us. There has to be. It must not have a hold upon us. I cannot say that I'm there. I can say this, that I'm desiring to be there. And I believe the desire in my heart to be there is, is genuine. It's of the Lord. Okay? That there has to be a separation from the Lord. I mean, from the world that's around us. We see it in Moses' life. Remember in, in uh, and we've studied it in the life of Moses, but in, in Hebrews where it talks about how he, when he came of age, he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He made a choice. And that choice was very much a separation from 
the luxury and the world and the worldliness and the world system of his day. And his choice wasn't just to go be a hermit somewhere. He says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin and of Egypt for a season. It was a clear-cut choice. And we've talked about that choice before. But that has to be present in any man or woman of God's life. Not just to be born again, but a desire and a separation from the worldliness and all the strings are cut. Where we're detached, so to speak, and free-falling into God's hands. I'm free from that. I'm free from it in my mind. I'm free from it in my desires of my heart, in my actions, in my relationships. Every way you want to look at it, it has nothing in me. I'm not a worldling. And I'm not a carnal Christian. I'm separated unto God. And I desire to be. And the Lord will make us that. Okay, But there is a choice involved in that to be separated from the world around us and the worldliness. If we're going to be used, this is our, our thought for the whole day. So just hang on to it. If you and I are going to be used by the Lord in some special way, always think about it. We dream about it. And we read about it. And we read about others. And George Mueller and people like this and people in the, in the Bible, of course. If, but if we're going to be that vessel through which God touches this world for His glory, and we're, the Lord's in need of such vessels right now. First, we have to be the ones that hear what the Lord is saying in this hour, right? And in order to hear God's voice, it could be that still small voice like Elijah heard. We have to shut out the clamor. That's the best way to put it. There's a clamor around us. Not necessarily sinful. Some of it is sinful. But there is a clamor in our lives that needs to be stilled and quieted down in our heart of hearts, in our spirits, in our minds, to sit before the Lord, to wait on the Lord. I'm separate from all that. It might be literally feet away or inches away from the clamor, but I'm separated from it in my heart. I'm separated from it in my mind. My mind, my heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all, right? We just sang it. Now life is in your hands. There has to be that. I believe there was for sure in Moses' life and in Samuel's life, that separation. If we're going to be the ones to hear from God what He is saying and what He's about to do, He's doing something, but don't you feel like He's about to do something? Don't you feel like God is about to do something big? Don't you desire for the Lord to do something big? Don't you, in our day and age in which we live, it cannot. God, please don't let it just continue like it is and fizzle on out into nothing. Please bring about that revival, that change. Do it in me. I want to walk down the street like Peter and, and people are healed when Peter walked by by his shadow. Why can't God do that? I think our, we and I are the limitation to that. I know God has His timing, but I believe He's preparing vessels in private, in secret. And I do believe He is going to do this. I don't believe He's done. I think if it was done, we'd already been raptured and all the other stuff would have started. I'm not giving you a chapter or verse on that. I'm simply saying He's not willing that any perish. He's long-suffering. And we're living in the long-suffering of God right now as believers. And if we're going to be the ones to hear from the Lord, here's the church as a whole, safe people. And everybody's not tuned in. Everybody's not dialed in. Even everybody that's born again is going to heaven is not dialed in. We want to be the ones to hear from God and the ones to know 
what he's about to do. That he would come to an Elijah, he would come to a John the Baptist, he would come to a Samuel and a Moses, and this is what I'm doing. I don't necessarily need your help, you know what I mean, but I want to use you to do this. I want to use you to do this. If we're going to be that person, y'all, or those people, then we have to be separated unto the Lord. We have to be separated from the corruption and the things that are around us. We can't be part of it or partaker of it. I'm just going to read this if you're taking notes. Uh, no, let's, let's turn to it and read it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet. That means like prepared, fit, fit for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And he talks about in verse 22, the things that that we're to flee. Okay, that's the things we're to flee and the things we're to follow after. There has to be there is a reality to this vessel of honor thing that the Bible talks about. There are vessels, even within a big house, there are, there are vessels of honor and dishonor. I always say there's like the little Dixie cups that you drink out of and throw away, and then there's like the fine china or crystal you're going to set out for a big occasion for a wedding or something like that. Uh, they're all in the house. But if we want to be that vessel of honor that the Lord uses... We walk with the Lord, we walk with the Lord, we walk closely to the Lord, and when He's ready, He can just reach there in His quiver of arrows, and He's got us. Because we're, we're not running out, He's not having to chase us down from backsliding. He's not having to chase us down from worldliness and a divided heart. We're His child, we're saved, but He's not having to constantly be pulling us out of those things and coming after us and sending someone to go confront us about some sin in our life. Thank the Lord that He does come after us. He's a good shepherd. Amen? He puts that hook out and his staff and He reels us back in time and time again. But we, we need to be the people that are vessels of honor, that are really separated, I would say, from the moral climate and the moral condition around us. If you'll notice what's sad a lot of times about the church, the church is not always excellent. It's not always this bright burning city on the hill that it should be. The church is the church, but a lot of times the church stays about one step morally ahead of the, the world. The world sinks down here. The church is above it. It doesn't sink to quite the depth that the world sinks to, but it still sinks. It's not The church should just stay here. The world's going to drop, drop, drop until the rapture and God deals with Gentile nations and all that. But the church should be the church in every era. It should be Christ-like. It should be representative of the Lord. It should be a city set on the hill whose light's shining. And everybody from their pit and their dark valleys can, and in their cesspool of sin or trials or fear or whatever, you ought to be able to look up and see it set on the hill. And so you and I, if we're going to be that vessel of honor that the Lord wants to use... We have to be separated from the moral climate that is around us. And I'll say this, not only the moral climate that is in the world, we know that. We're not part of that. 
But we need to be separated from much of what's in the church world today that's accepted as being Christian and okay and acceptable when it's not okay. It's not of the Lord. And so when, when Almighty God uh, is about to bring about a major change, a revival, a turning, I would say to Him, He's going to step in and do something wonderful, a rescue mission, and something needful, something monumental on the earth. He's going to look to use that man or woman who is not part of the problem, so to speak. Who's not part of the moral condition and the climate. He used Abraham to intercede for Lot. Now Lot did not commit the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he also could not be used to be the one to be the deliverer from Sodom and Gomorrah. You understand that? Lot did not even deliver his own self or his family. Abraham, through his intercession, Abraham was not part of that corruption. And so you can say, well, Lot didn't commit those sins. He didn't. The Bible says he was just and righteous in that sense. But he compromised to the point where he was part of the city, rubbing elbows with those people, and had become comfortable enough to live there. He was not able to deliver himself. He didn't hear from God that God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God spoke to his friend, Abraham. Abraham, I'm about to do this. So here both, Lot and Abraham are both in heaven today. We're going to see them both. They're fully justified by the grace of God. But, but you do see a difference in the two men's lives. Abraham, we spoke of Samuel and, and Moses. That's the type of people that we want to be. We do want to be that. I do desire to be that. We have to be separated. Y'all, if you and I are going to... It's not enough, for example, for me, and I've preached on it. Y'all have spoken it and taught on on things about like deception in the church, for example. Or or even problems in the world. You know, uh, moral issues that we would address in the world. It's not enough for me to point those out and say... uh, you know, this, there's doctrinal error in the church. We need to do those things. The Bible says to do it. Mark and avoid those that cause offenses and divisions contrary to sound, sound doctrine. But it's not enough for me to point them out. It's not enough for me to say, that's a doctrinal error. That's soulishness in the music. That's soulishness on the platform. That's unscriptural scriptural music. That's carnality in the church. That's another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Uh, that's biblical illiteracy in the church. That's uh, spiritual laziness in the church. It's not enough for me to see it. I do need to see it. It's not enough for me to point it out. I need to point it out. I have to be separated from that. Am I biblically illiterate? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, they don't pray enough over there. And that's a problem in the church world. I can't be part of that same problem I'm pointing out or condemning. I need to be a man of prayer. I need to be a man that doesn't listen to Bethel music and Jesus culture. You understand my point? I need to be separated from that. It's not enough for me to point it out and, and say, that's some real problem. That's the problem in the church world today. What if I really like it and listen to it? And don't tell y'all about it. You understand what I'm saying? But I like some of their songs. You know, and there's still a, an attachment there. That's not going to be the vessel that God uses. He's going to use the one that's separated unto him, not only separated from the world, sins of the world, but the things in the church that are not right. 
We can't be part of what needs the problem of what needs being fixed if we're going to be the ones used to fix it. I'll never forget this, y'all. When, when I, and y'all have heard my testimony before. Others have similar testimonies. Everybody's testimony is, is their testimony. But I remember when I, when I lived as a believer uh, from my, my last year in high school through four and a half years of college. Uh, well, actually four years of college. And I was very much, I believe, saved at the time, but very much uh, attached to the world. Very much. There was no real difference as far as anybody could tell. Now, I had the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart the whole time. So I knew, and the Lord actually made me miserable in my sin. I'm thankful that He did. That was proof that His hand upon my life. But the point is that he, He had to bring me out of that. And the thing I was most uh, not wanting to let go of was my friends. I had my friends from the seventh grade, okay, at U High, through middle school, high school, and through four years of the same fraternity in college. I mean, they were blood brothers to me. My little uh, close friends who played football, we, we did everything together. And then I come to this point where God's dealing with me. And He deals with me out of... Out of specifically uh, in, in Luke, I mean, in, Re- in Revelation 3 about your lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You know, make up your mind, Randy, what, what you're going to do. And, and anyway, my apartment at LSU, I surrendered to the Lord, but I used to be so afraid of losing my friends. That was the big thing. And it just shows how the Lord works because I was not ever going to be the one used to reach my friends for Christ in that state. I didn't reach one of my friends for Christ. And all that time period I mentioned, from 7th grade through college, to the end of college, I didn't, re- I didn't win one friend to the Lord. One person to the Lord. I did not witness to one person about the Lord. Much less win them. You understand what I'm saying? He had to get me out. And He got me all the way out. Like, that was it. Bam, that moment from that day to this day. No more. It was over. It was over. It was drastic. It was a knife. It was, a, it was severe. Okay? And it was a clean break. That's what he had to do with me because I was so entangled with it, with my friends. And he had to get, rip me out of it. I had to agree to that. He put the fear of God in me. I'm not going to lie to you. He scared me. He put the fear of God. He said, it's enough. You decide. And I went with the Lord. Praise God. But then, that's just like the Lord. Like getting Moses out of Egypt for 40 years in the wilderness. Then guess what? He goes back to lead the people out of Egypt and into the things of God. And, and He had to get me clean out. No string. Not even the dust. Nothing. Just get it all off. For 20 years. I was separated... From 20 years, and D and I, we get this thing in the mail or whatever about a, a you know high school 20-year reunion, and I'm not at all interested in going to that because I know there's the social and everything that's going to be going on. But they said, well, they got the, the big bash on a Saturday night or whatever, but on a Friday night, but on a Saturday there's a family day, so it's two parts to this this reunion, and I said, well, let's go to that. 
we'll go to that. And, and we got, I got to go back in different. Does that make sense? Like go back into it without having a hold on me. Go back in there with Christ's purpose in mind and only that in mind. Let others see you and me. I'm not trying to rekindle friendships. I'm not trying to explain myself. I'm separate from that. I'm going back in for the purpose of God only. And we went back in. Here comes a friend of mine. I know you've heard this story, so forgive me. A friend of mine that was one of my, those buddies. And he comes and says, Randy, I hear you're a pastor these days. Can you teach a Bible? Can you teach us the Bible? I mean, could you have anything more wonderful than that fall in your lap as a believer? I didn't have to try to explain myself or do it. Can you teach us the Bible? Yes, I can teach you. I would love to. 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning at this guy's house off of Highland Road. My old buddies are coming. And, and for, I don't remember how many years I did, two or three years, got to lead several of them to the Lord. I didn't teach the Bible to them. I preached the gospel to them. You know, week after week, I come at it at a different angle. That's all I did. So finally we're kneeling on our knees at his couch with a friend on this side and a friend on that side. And they're getting saved. They got born again. And I'm thinking, who, who but God? But you know what? He's got to get us out. Completely out. Don't you think you're going to reach your friends for Jesus if you're, they don't even know you're saved? You've got to come out of it. That's who God's looking to use in this hour. John the Baptist was not part of what was going on, was he? From his mother's womb, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He was nothing to do with the, the Roman system and nothing to do with the corrupt uh, Levitical system and, that had come to. God didn't corrupt it. Men had corrupted it over the years. He was separate from that. It had no hold on him at all. He didn't care what they thought. He didn't dress like they dressed. He didn't eat what they ate. He lived out under the stars out by the Jordan River. And that's where he lived. Just him and God. But when it was time, God shot him out like an arrow. And he was fulfilled that purpose that he was called to fulfill. I'm just going to read you some things that John the Baptist said. He was not part of the problem. Didn't mean he didn't need a Savior. He was not part of the system, either in the church or in the world, that needed fixing in his day. He could say, repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He could say when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. To King Herod, he could say, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. How could he say these things boldly? Because he wasn't part of it. He could speak to the Pharisees. He could speak to the, the prostitutes and the, and the average everyday person that came out there. He could speak to the king. It didn't matter because he wasn't part of any of that. He wasn't looking to them for a paycheck. He wasn't to look, looking to them for acceptance. He wasn't looking for them to, to make some compromise and some deal to where both parties could be happy. He was separate from it. 
And because he was separate totally from it, in his heart, in his mind, in his life, he could speak to it, thus saith the Lord, and mean it. And it had power. And it carried weight. And there was a power behind it from the Holy Ghost. We have to be separated. If I'm going to reach this world of today, and I'm going to reach a lot of the church world today, I have to be separated from what's wrong with it. I'm not saying you separate yourself from what's right. I'm not saying we're hermits and we separate from every other believer and we're scared of our own shadow. There's certainly the true church still exists. Amen. But we certainly have to separate from what's unbiblical, what's not right, what's not representative of Christ. God's idea is to restore the right, the model, so to speak, the perfect ideal of his son, Jesus being lifted up. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do an individual people that when they look at my life, they don't see a, a Randy version of a Christian. Okay. Or an Alberto version of a Christian. They see Christ period. They see me spin up, used up for his glory. And all that remains is the Lord. They don't need to see a new and improved version of Randy. They need to see Jesus. Okay, and God, and in the church, in every local church like this one, and in the church body as a whole, there's so much that masquerades as Jesus that is not. We've talked about it. Paul talked about another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. He talks about, and it goes around in the name of the Lord, but it's not the Lord. But we we have the Lord's perfect plan is to put all that down. Okay, and boom, put Jesus back up where he belongs. It's not like he's been kicked off his throne. He's still on his throne at the right hand of the father. But the waters have been muddied so much between the world and the church and the world and individual believers that nobody can really tell what's a Christian. Either nobody's a Christian or everybody's a Christian. You know what I'm saying? You talk to guys that are cursing, playing, pick up basketball and they're youth pastors in their church. What's the difference? <clears throat> there has to be a difference in our life. And they want to reach the young people for the Lord. They're not going to. Amen. They might reach young people for their church. They might reach young people for their youth group. They might reach young people in, in some other way, but they're not reaching them for Christ as long as they are part of the problem that's going on. They need to be reached. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not judging their salvation. <clears throat> I'm saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that the waters are so muddy and the Lord wants to get Jesus back up. This is my son. This is him. That's not. This is Jesus. Okay, this. Get your eyes off of that. Look, this is the Lord. He's the Savior. This is God's only son. This is the Alpha and Omega. This is the only hope for the world. This is the healer of men's bodies and their souls. This one who died and rose again. He needs to be seen. And I can't be part of the garbage that's going on around me and think I'm going to reach it. Like I've just used that for an example. Here's some music that's in the church world. It's not glorifying the God. And the root of it, and their pastor, and their ministry, and where they come from, is in gross doctrinal error. But I say, but I like some of their songs. No, you better come out of that. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you've got to come out of it if you're going to be what God uses a Moses or Samuel 
that has that kind of position in place with the Lord. Maybe you do like some of the songs. Maybe I do. I don't have to. I'm going to separate from that because it's not honoring to God. And we have to come out if we're going to be those ones used to go back in. He gets us out. He cleans us up. He equips us. And when He's ready, He sends us back in. Go back into the fray. Go back into the battle. But you're going back in different this time. You're going in for me. And empowered by me. And with my purpose and my gospel and in my timing, you do it my way. Not your way. And that's how the Lord... uh, The Lord is desiring to set things right. Okay? He's desiring to set things right in your life and in my life individually. He's desiring to set things right in the church and in the world. His answer has, is and has always been for by the Holy Ghost, His Son Jesus to be exalted. That's the way He does it. He doesn't do it through handing out bottles of water and, and, and clothes to people. That would only be as, as an expression of His love to bring them to Christ and to the Gospel message. It's not just through good works. It's through the foolishness of preaching. It's through His Gospel that sets Jesus back up on the throne in men's eyes to where He's seen. I couldn't see Him. It was so. Here's a lost person looking in the world and they want, they want the Lord. And where do they even find Him? You know what I mean? Because they go to a seeker-friendly church and they're playing country and western music to get them interested to get them there. Well, I had that at home and it was better. My country and western music is better than what they're playing here. You know what I'm saying? Why would I want this? It has to, there has to be a separation, y'all. There has to be a separation. His answer and His means of doing it is to lift up Jesus by the Holy Ghost and in our day and through the, through the Bible days and whatever we see through history, He does it through men and women that know Him. He doesn't, I always say He doesn't speak through an oak tree. Not that He can't. He spoke through a donkey, but that's not His typical way. He speaks through men and women that have come to know Him. That are His. That are separated unto Him. That's who He chooses to use. If you and I are going to be vessels of honor, we have to be those that are not only separated from the moral climate that's around us, we have to be grieved over it. Not just, oh, I'm not touching that. There's an error, there's an error, there's an error in the church. That's a problem, that's a problem. Staying away from that. We need to stay away from it. We need to be grieved by it for God's sake. And maybe it's not affecting my life. It's affecting a lot of people's lives. And it's affecting the honor of Jesus Christ on the earth. And I need to be grieved by it. I need to... What would it be like a progression? It would be like, I see it. I'm separated from that. And I'm separated unto God. I'm grieved by it. The Lord begins to share His heart with me. I feel like I start to feel like He feels about it. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a personal distaste. It's a heart of God, where it's a burden, and then in that burden, He will burden me to pray. My people in my house should be called a house of prayer. We begin to pray, and as we pray, He will begin to speak to us. And then there'll come some point where he says, you've been burdened about this. You've been praying about this. You're separated from it. You've been fasting about this. I'm about to do something, Buck. And I want to use you. I want to use you to do it. Nobody in the church world knows who Buck is or who I am. I want to use you. 
And because I'm separated from God from that, I've been praying, I'm grieved over it, I'm close to the Lord, walking as close as I can. God sovereignly speaks to me and wants to use me to do it. That's a vessel of honor that's meet for the Master's use, prepared for what He's about to do in the earth. Amen? And, and separated, consecrated. And I would say desiring to be separated is the main point. If I really desire to be separated, God's going to work that sanctification in me to separate me from it. But I have to desire. Uh, Evan Roberts, we all know, and I'm, I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but Evan Roberts was 26 years old when, uh, when the Lord burdened his, his heart, or at least where we see him kind of come on the scene. He was not known. He was a Bible school student. He had a pastor in a home church. He was a Bible school student who came home for a break or something. Had such a burden for uh, his community, for revival in his day. And he wasn't given a, a big platform by man. He said, Pastor, I'd like to address the church. He says, I'll give you 10 minutes on a Sunday night. You think, well, that's almost the lowest of low, right? <laughs> 10 minutes on a Sunday night. It's not, by the way. I'm saying, that's all you get. So he shared 10 minutes on a Sunday night and said anybody that's interested in getting together and praying more about this, meet me afterwards. It's always those afterwards meetings that really something happens, amen? And there's a group of young people, maybe his age, around his age, they begin to, to, to pray and seek the Lord. And it's testified of Evan Roberts that he had no time for youthful uh, entertainment, that he prayed without ceasing night and day. He wept and sighed for great spiritual awakening. He got to be part of a great spiritual awakening. He got to be the catalyst. He got to be that one that God used. Now, all glory to God. But the point of, point of it is, he did have a man who was sharing his heart, who was grieved, and God was able to basically impart that grief and that calling and that burden upon his life. And he took it. He took it seriously. And he was proactive about it. And he began to pray in tens and, and, and thousands of people swept into the kingdom. We know about the Welch revivals. I'll give you the four things he covenanted with these, these people, that this group of people that were like-minded in the church. They made agree to do four things. Confess all known sin. Receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Remove anything from your life. Number two, this is number two. Anything from your life that you're in doubt or feel unsure about. That's a lot different than the church world today. People do a lot of things they're not sure if it's right or not. Even as believers, should a Christian do this or not? I think people do a lot of stuff they're in doubt about. Might find out later it was okay. Might find out later it was wrong. But if we're in doubt, we shouldn't do it. So we have a clean conscience about it one way or the other. Remove anything from your life that you are in doubt of or feel unsure about. Number three, be ready to obey the Spirit, Holy Spirit instantly. Number four, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is the type of vessels that the Lord used. I had so much that I wanted to, to, to talk about. I am going to uh, share a little bit more. But this is the vessels of honor that God wanted to use. We mentioned Samuel. And I want to just... I'm going to close by talking about Samuel real quickly. You turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. I have some scriptures written that I'm going to read. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we'll read there in a moment, but while we're waiting to read there, 
just listen to, to the scriptures that I have. Sam, Samuel was born out of the tra- travail of his mother, Hannah, right? Samuel was an answer to prayer from his mother, Hannah, the parent. She, for whatever reason, the Lord had shut up her womb. She was unable to bear children. She wanted a child. Of course she wanted a child. And she was unable to have children. It was a time... She, she would, Hannah herself was separated from all that was going on. She was not like the world of Israel around her, the Israelites in her day. You have to remember, when, when does this take place chronologically? Hannah and giving birth to Samuel. That was at the end of the, the period of the Judges, right on the hind end of that. When the Bible described that time of Judges as every man did what was right in their own eyes, in their own sight. In Israel, every man did what was right in their own sight and justified it, I'm sure, in some way. Okay, Hannah was not part of that. She was separated from that. Her and her family seemed to be godly people. She worshipped. She would go into the tabernacle and worship. She cried out to God, not some idol, for a Lord. I mean, for a child. And she said, Lord, if you give me a child, as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to thee. Give him back to you. Well, the Lord blessed her with Samuel. Samuel means asked of God. That was She was not part of the corruption and he was born, Samuel was born as a little infant in a time of dark moral conditions. Okay? But he was not at all part of it. At no point was he part of it. From his miraculous birth, okay, conception of his mother and birth, God was preparing an arrow in his quiver to reach the world of his day for God. All right? and to bring people back to Him to set things right. And He chose someone new. He chose an outsider that was not part of it. Just real quickly, He didn't choose Eli, right? Eli was the priest of the day. Eli didn't necessarily commit all the sins of the people. I don't think that he did. But he was a compromiser. We're going to read about in just a moment. God didn't choose Eli, the priest, to turn things back to Him in His day. He didn't choose His sons to turn things back to Him in His day. They were part of the problem. And I don't have time to read it all, but the Bible says that, uh, that, that, that Eli's sons were sons of Belial. Of a devil. Eli's sons were sons of Belial. Now, it doesn't say Eli was that. But I'll tell you what Eli did. And I'll just read this. This is interesting. This is a sermon for another day. But it says that Eli's sons knew not the Lord. And the Lord sent a prophet, an unknown prophet, we don't know his name to this day, to Eli while Samuel was just a little child. And he said, Did I not play, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me. That's just a uh, uh, Shot between the eyes. Eli didn't commit those sins. Do you know what he did? He let his sons, they were priests, they were committing a fornication in the tabernacle at the altar. They were, when people brought their sacrifices to God, there was a certain way they were to bring them and they'd be sacrificed. And they said, no, give it to us now. We want the meat. Give it to us now. They were sons of Belial. They didn't know the Lord. And then 
Eli didn't do these things, but he knew it was going on. You honor your, your sons above me to make yourself fat. And he was a fat man, by the way, with the chiefest of the, all the offerings of Israel, my people. Eli didn't commit this, but he was not separated from it. God didn't use Eli to reach the world in his day, to set things right, to get God back on his throne, to bring a people to repentance. He didn't use Eli. Certainly didn't use his sons. He used Samuel. And the Bible says of Samuel, and the child grew before the Lord, and the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. That was speaking about David, and Samuel would be the one to anoint David to be king. And uh, if you're in 1 Samuel, look at the end of chapter 3, 19 through 21. 1 Samuel 3, 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Who's he dealing with? Who's he raised up? Who's he working with? And who did the people, even that weren't right morally, who did they know was raised up to be a prophet? It wasn't Eli. Certainly wasn't his sons. All the people knew. Samuel was a prophet. I'm telling you that we have to live in such a separated way to the Lord that we're not part of the problem that God's desiring to fix and that we want fixed and that we want to be used by God to help fix. I cannot be part of it. I can't be part of it a little bit. Just some of the things that aren't so bad. We have to be separate from it. And God wants to use us and, and when he's going to, he's going to, that's who he's going to use. He's going to use a, a Stephen and a John the Baptist and a Moses and a Samuel to bring his, his will. And so I'm just going to close that D. You can come. I've got two scriptures I want to read as D is coming. Revelation 18.4. Uh, we studied this in Revelation about the judgment on Babylon. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people that you be not partakers of her sins, and they receive not of her plagues. God's people, God's people, come out of her, come out of that system, come out of all that darkness that you've intermingled with, come out of her, my people, that you be not partaker of her sins or that judgment that's going to come upon it. We have to be separated from that and come out of it. Y'all stand with me this morning. The, the altar's open, open. To me, this is a strong message, but it's, a, uh, it's exciting. Because I do not think God is through with the human race. I think He's still wanting to do something. I don't think He's through with America, no matter what happens with impeachment trials. He, he is going to, I believe, going to restore Jesus to His place. Doesn't mean everybody's going to come to Him. Doesn't mean everybody's going to get saved. I believe God is gracious and merciful. And he's going to use people that nobody else knows. Samuel was not the who's who in the church world of the day. You understand what I'm saying? But when he spoke, God spoke to him. He heard him. Lord, your servant hears. Here I am. I hear you, Lord. Speak to me. And he did his will. That's why we could open up that scripture in Jeremiah. If Moses and Samuel stood before me, 
even they couldn't change my mind here. They were set, they were set apart to the Lord. Just listen to this, y'all. The altar's open. You come and you begin to call on the Lord that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, says you shine as lights in the world. Amen? Holding forth the word of life. I'm going to read it again. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. I believe this stuff, y'all. I'm not saying I am that. I believe it, though. I want it. I desire it. I believe God is able and desires it more than we desire it. Somebody's got to get a hold of God and be separated unto the Lord in this way. And it's not going to be someone that has a television ministry, at least maybe not now, that God's going to use to shake this nation one more time or to shake this city or your school or your workplace or your family or whatever it may be. It's that one that's shut up with God. Not a hermit, but shut up to God who hears His voice and is, is a vessel of honor. Father, we come before You. Lord, we just humble ourselves before You. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks Your face. Oh God of Jacob, give us clean hands, pure hearts, God. Make us a people separated from the corruption around us. Not just the corruption of the world, but the corruption, Lord, of, of the, Your church that's been perverted in so many ways. God, I I pray that You would grieve us and burden our hearts with what You're burdened with. I pray we would separate from things that are not of God. I pray You'd strengthen us by Your Holy Spirit. I pray You'd speak to us and share Your heart with us and what You're about to do. You said the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. You share Your secrets with us as Your people in this body. Bring us clean out so that you can fix us up and send us back in. Let us be arrows of the Lord that you send forth, not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Y'all pray. Y'all please pray and take some time to get a hold of the Lord. I know this is a message for us today.